0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Cast Weekly Feel Good Podcast, where this week we talk about two seasons of a fantastic superhero show. We watch another Batman movie that has escaped my radar. I talk about the best-selling books of all time, and we also talk about the latest adventure of the poopies. That's right. I want to apologize real quick uh, for the general croaky shittiness of my voice. Um, it has been several long days, and uh, in fact, the just the other day, like a day ago out of recording this, I sat down and recorded all of the music for Fellowship of the Ring, and that did a number on me, so it's probably going to be a couple of days before I can actually start reading Fellowship of the Ring, but the music is done for all those people that care. Then we're going to talk about Young Justice Seasons 1 and 2 in preparations for me watching seasons three and season four, which comes out at the end of this month. We talk about Muppet Haunted Mansion, the latest Muppet special to come to Disney+. Plus. We talk about the best-selling books of all time, as well as several books that I will be hopefully reading over the next couple of years. And yes, I do need to plan it out in years because that's how long these sorts of things take me. And, uh, um, what was, the, what was the final thing we talked about? It was... Oh, Batman. Batman uh, Return of the Caped Crusader. Uh, I watched and will review it for your pleasure. If you like The Going Up Cast and wish to support The Going Up Cast, please feel free to go to patreon.com forward slash Cast, where you can become a patron and get access to my music, music, uh, movie commentary tracks and uh, some exclusive video series over there. And please feel free to explore goincast.com and check out the audiobooks. As I've said a couple of times, The Hobbit is my 30th audiobook. I've recorded more than that, but those are like short stories and stuff like that, so I'm not really counting those. Um, but in terms of full books, this is this is book 30. It is very a lot of fun and it is just a blast, but there is a pretty significant backlog of audiobooks on there, so please share with your friends and post it on Facebook and do all that stuff. Um, speaking of facebook facebook.com forward slash up to get access to when I post daily chapters. that's that's the best place to find it. Facebook um, or follow me at Twitter um, at marco m a r g i n k o r to know when the day's chapter goes live. And that isn't me talk enough to talk about all sorts of dumb stuff. Let's get into zip podcast. If you know this podcast at all, you know that I love The Muppets. Muppet Treasure Island is my second favorite movie of all time. And uh, I grew up watching like, you know, old episodes of The Muppet Show. I had like VHS tapes. Big old fan of The Muppets. And when I heard they were going to bring The Muppets back to Disney Plus in a brand new Haunted Mansion related special, I was concerned because recent Muppet adventures have been less than ideal. And in my head, Disney has yet to prove that it knows what the fuck to do with the Muppets. However, I am happy and thrilled to report that Muppet Haunted Mansion, despite being a glorified TV special, it's only about 52 minutes long, um, which is what I was expecting. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be like a movie, you know? I was expecting it to just be um, uh, a special. Like, you know, it would air on ABC, have some commercials, and then there you go. But it was a Disney Plus thing. But... I loved it. I thought it was. I thought it was great. Um, it had some really good songs. It had some pretty good, like special effects and puppeting. The jokes were phenomenal. But what did it for me was the references to some of the original source material. Um, things like the the puns in the dancing ballroom scene um, is what really cinched it for me because it shows that this was made by people who fucking know what they're doing and were there. And that's that's the thing. Like, Bill Beretta has been a, a Muppet puppeteer for for a very long time. Dave Goles is definitely around, like been around for a long time. Brian Henson was there, I believe, playing Sweetums. But the whole thing was written and directed by Kirk Thatcher um, who uh, has been around for a long time. But he was, uh... He worked closely with Jim back in the day, way back in the day. Like he knows of what he speaks of, and it shows. This was made by somebody who understands the Muppets and gets it, uh, and that's what the the recent Disney adventures, like Muppets Now, fail to understand. The Muppets are—they're so hard to define because it's so much more than just a bunch of puppets. You know, they're—it's—it's it's wit, it's. Dry humor—it's—it's there's a there's a quality to them that is really hard to capture. But I feel like this special does a really good job of doing that. Outside of that, I don't really want to spoil much because it's not particularly long. And if you enjoy the Muppets and were worried about this special, I really want to encourage you to go check it out because it's it's pretty fucking awesome. And I will give a warning that if you have like little ones, like really small little ones, you might want to give it a pass. It's not. I, I don't think it's scary, but there's definitely some moments that will probably freak kids out. Um, just kind of cause so just a heads up. It's, it's kids scary. It's not adult scary, but it's, it'll definitely mess with some kids. Um, there's a scene with Gonzo in a mirror. That is, a. Uh, I mean, I, I was upset by the images I was seeing. So just for, for context, but then again, I don't do horror well, like at all. So even, like, little tastes of it and, like, Muppet specials still have me go, that's kind of grotesque, but, you know, there you go. Um, the guest stars are pretty good. Wellernette, I thought, did a great job. I love Darren Chris. Um, John Stamos is always one of my favorites. Uh, we saw Ed Asner, Danny Trejo, for some goddamn reason, Pat Sajak. Um, Jeff Keighley was in there. Fucking Jeff Keighley was in there. What are you doing, Jeff? Get back on... Keep talking about video games. Get out of my Muppets. The biggest thing I have to say against this is that the current voice of Kermit the Frog um, sucks at doing Kermit. He just does. He's It's just... He's just not good at it. Um, he can do other fucking, like, voices pretty damn well. Um, he's also uh, Floyd and uh, the... Um, in the uh, goddamn electric, uh, Mr. Teethy in the Electric Mayhem. Um, he's also Uncle Deadly. Like he can do other voices. He just sucks at Kermit. And I don't know if he's trying to take Kermit in like a new direction. But Kermit now basically just sounds like, "Hey, what's up? I'm Kermit." You know, it's just like a dude talking. He's not even trying. So, and I I don't believe that he can't do the Kermit the Frog impression. That we all want but i will also recognize not wanting to do that i've recently gone through a bit of thing like that myself with voicing Gollum and not wanting to do an impression so yeah if he doesn't want to do like a straight up and down kermit impression as like an artistic flavor thing i get that but at the same time you also have to recognize that there's like the current mickey mouse voice for example um evokes mickey mouse but goes in a different direction. This doesn't evoke Kermit to me. It's a completely different voice. And I feel like taking the artistic license is fair, but this is also, you're the canonical voice for a beloved iconic character that we all know what he sounds like. I feel like it, it was, you, you needed to like, rein it in a little bit. You can have some artistic freedom, but not all the way to where Kermit sounds completely different. It's like Kermit's a different person and none of the other Muppets are, are experiencing those sorts of things everybody else sounds correct except for Kermit so it's it's really off-putting like you know Miss Piggy's all the Kermit, you know he's got like the high-pitched shit and Fozzie sounds right and Gonzo sounds right everybody sounds right except for Kermit so they, they're they're missing a trick there but if that's the worst thing I can say For this special then i'm pretty happy with it all all said and done and of course as we pay homage to or homage to um one of the greatest actors uh this is one of the last things ed asner did before he passed away earlier this year um or actually not earlier this year just a little while ago so i want to acknowledge that as well he does not speak in the special but you do see him a couple of times and it's it's very sweet so there you go go watch muppets haunted mansion it is quite good. Let's move on to the next thing the podcast. When I was a young man, there was a show called Teen Titans. And it was fucking awesome. Except for season five, which is swell, but I'm not talking about that. What I loved about Teen Titans was that it presented one of my all-time favorite tropes in comic books or in storytelling, which is the following... I have superpowers, but I also have a test on Friday. Oh, no. You know, that shit. I love the I love the balancing because it's, it's just like all of it, right? I mean, that's why Peter Parker is so fucking interesting because it's, you got powers, so you got to fight evil. But you're also a teenager, so you got to deal with like that shit. And you're also in school and you got to deal with, it's like everything you could possibly throw at a kid to deal with. Is, is represented in these stories and uh, I love them. I love them to pieces I think they're they're awesome they, they're fairly samey but there's a lot of room for creativity in these spaces and so that is why I want to talk about Young Justice that's the focus of this thing because Young Justice came out many moons ago it's it's been a thing for a while um it had a season And then a week after the first season ended, the second season came out. And then after that season came out, the show was canceled. And then the internet kind of woke up and went, well, now hold on a second. I know that second season wasn't very good and stuff, but that first season, sure, boy, howdy, was quite something, something. So we sure would like it to come back, please. And then it did. And there was a third season on HBO Max. And the fourth season actually comes out before the month is out. Which I don't think a lot of people know. Anyway, I only ever saw the first two seasons. I'm in the process of re-watching the entire show, um, including season three, so I can get ready for season four. But I want to talk about season one, because season one of Young Justice is one of the best seasons of television I've ever seen. The characters are so fucking strong and multi-layered. The situations they're put in are fantastic. The animation's amazing, the voice acting's incredible, the music's great. Everything about the show is awesome but what really does it for me i mean the characters it's always about the characters right you have this core group of heroes that come together for excellent reasons and become a team and become a family you see the struggles and the adversities and the differences that formulates this incredibly strong crime fighting unit that's what season two got wrong because season two does the time jump from season one to season two and shoots five years into the future throws in like 50 new characters and all of that magic from season one is just exploded that being said over the course of season two it recovers and by the end of season two it's just as good as it was at the beginning of season one and then the show got canceled so you can imagine my consternation at the time where i was like they, they fixed it again, and oh, it's dead. Well, fuck me in the ass. Well, I guess I don't have to care about this anymore. And then Season 3 happened, and I still haven't seen it. And Season 4 is about to happen, so clearly Season 3 was well-received. Otherwise, they wouldn't be making a fourth one. Um, but it's really... It's all about that first season. Because it keeps the core group small. Right? You got Aqualad. Beautifully performed by uh, Carrie Patton. Payton? Uh, I need to pull up the... He did Cyborg in um, Teen Titans, and he was also... Uh, a guest star in season two of critical role, Carrie Payton, uh, does a, a phenomenal job as a, as Aqualad, like the leader of the team. Right. And then you got Robin played by Jesse McCartney. Uh, Dick Grayson kills it. Um, kid Flash, kind of annoying in the beginning, but he definitely grows on you. Superboy, Nolan North. Um, this might be my favorite thing that Nolan North has ever done. Cause he's also the voice of Superman, um, as well as a million other characters. Um, but he does just such a great job of having like samey yet different voices for Superman and Superboy, like, and they're distinct characters, but he pulls it off and it's awesome. Megan Morris played by Danica McKellar, um, is excellent. And her like sheer like power and some of the fucked up things that she does throughout not only season one, but later on in season two, she like completely snaps um in a couple of instances and it's incredible um and then my personal favorite character artemis played by stephanie uh lemelon lemelon sure i might be butchering that last name i love artemis artemis is such a fucking like she is tough as hell and is such a strong character it's it's awesome She's a complete ass kicker. She won't let you get away with nothing. I believe the term they use in the show is spitfire. And it's so fucking appropriate. Oh, God, I love Artemis. Anyway. This group of characters comes together over the course of the season to become the team Young Justice, which um, is a terrible team name, to the fact where they never refer to themselves in Young Justice. In fact, the, the phrase Young Justice is never said in Season 1. They're called The Team. There's the Justice League and then The Team. That's it. They never say Young Justice, which I think is great. It's a good name for the show, but it's a terrible in-universe name. They never refer to themselves as that, so I think that's great. I mean, over the course of this show, this first season... We have problems with self-identity, romance, um, uh, body issues, like how, like your own perception of your physical appearance, you know, all of these things teenagers deal with all the fucking time, right? And then you have trauma from some like situations in which things go break bad really fucking fast, trust issues, um like all these incredible things they grow so much as characters over the course of this and you have characters who come from completely different backgrounds there's robin right trained to be a super fighter uh superhero at the age of nine by batman completely like um like incredibly strategic a complete badass when it comes to -to hand-to-hand combat but he's only 13 he's still a kid you've got artemis Um, trying to make a name for herself as a hero and separate herself from her supervillain family you've got Aqualad who's trying to prove that he made the right decision in becoming Aqualad instead of staying at the school and potentially having like a lady friend for forever Um, although it was later stated by one of the creators or writers or something of the show that Aqualad is actually polysexual Um, so that's another thing that the show does really well is LGBTQ plus representation which is awesome um i don't know what occurs because like right in this season aqualite definitely does not give off that vibe but then again that's also not the point like it's just part of a character it doesn't need to be explicitly represented but it's nice that it's in there because if it is explicit then it's kind of defeating the purpose to where it's part of the character not the character you know what i mean anyway uh kid flash um his struggles with like his feelings for artemis um, his acceptance of things that he can't explain, all of those wonderful things. Uh, Superboy clone destined to destroy Superman. He's been alive for less than a year. He's got a whole bunch of fucking problems to work through there. Uh, fucking Miss Martian probably has more struggles than most people because like, of her natural form and trying to fit in on Earth and like adjusting and all of these things and the fact that she is, according to Martian Manhunter, like the strongest telepathic mind he has ever encountered so, she's pretty powerful. Um, it's just everybody comes with baggage. And actually, the, the closest show... I, I, I thought about this a lot. The closest show I could compare this to, besides obviously Teen Titans, would be Neon Genesis Evangelion. Because it's a bunch of kids weighing over their heads, dealing with a fuck ton of baggage, and going through some pretty traumatic stuff. And dealing with it. That's the other thing. Problems in this show are not solved in 30 minutes. Some of them are. But episode 17 of this show, Failsafe, is, like, the episode. They go on a training exercise. Uh, Martian Manhunter links them all psychically in order for them to experience a, a mission in which they're destined to fail everything. But you, the viewer, don't know that's what's going on until the end of the episode. So in the first, like, five minutes, the entire Justice League is eliminated and killed. Um... And I mean, if you're paying attention, you might be going like, what the fuck is happening? I wasn't smart enough to figure this out that it was like, oh, the whole thing's a dream sequence. Uh, The first time I saw it, sorry, episode 16, not 17, episode 16. Um, and so it freaked me the right the fuck out. And I'm like, holy shit, this is ballsy. They just killed Batman and Superman and everybody's dead. Um, and it's such a ride, but the, the fallout of that episode is the whole next episode. Of these kids basically sitting in therapy with Black Canary talking about how... Or the lack of talking about how fucking traumatizing that whole thing was. Um, And I think that's where the show really shines. Is that it's not afraid to take the... In my view, the more realistic route. These kids go through some shit. and And they take time to show these kids dealing with it. And that makes it so much more relatable and realistic and grounded it's awesome you know it's not just like i've stopped you captain cold no more crime fighting for you it's not that there's a little bit of that but it's not that it's it's so much more than that in this first season it's it's so fucking good and there's definitely some like maybe some classic storylines Uh, throughout here like oh no all the adults are gone what do we do that kind of crap Um, and there's not a whole lot of like hey we're in school Um, because again that's not the point of the show it's just another thing that these kids deal with school only comes up when it's like narratively important you know it it doesn't matter outside of that Um, but it is it is really really good and what amuses me is that the first season aired over the course of two years. Which probably didn't help its its popularity. Because the first couple of episodes... You got two episodes that appeared in November of 2010. Right? And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Then they had to wait until January of the following year for the next batch of episodes. Uh, and then you got up to episode seven. And they are like, neat, neat, neat. Uh, then there was a... The, uh, uh, January to... No, actually, they, they ran pretty consistently. Until March with episode nine. And then uh, it came back in September. And then it ran pretty consistently. And then it took, and then it went to November. And then it took a break again and came back on in March. And then it kept going until the end of April. Uh, or the middle of April. And then season two began a week later. And it, like these huge hiatuses probably did not help the show in terms of its viewership or popularity early on. Because it just aired over a very long period of time. Um, I don't want to go into too much more detail because... For me, at least, it truly is just getting to know these characters, seeing the villains they go up against, seeing the struggles they overcome. Um, the the overarching plot of the show uh, does become a little cheesy after a while, where no matter what the the team or the Justice League do to upset like the the villains, there's always like a it doesn't matter, everything will will fall into place in time. You know, this supreme confidence from the villains being like it's all going according to plan. Um, which I always hated that, and, uh, it is pretty cheesy in the show, especially if you marathon binge-watch it like people can do now, because it's all on HBO Max. So, the, the cracks become a lot easier to see, but at the same time, the, uh, the impact of the step between season one and season two of that five-year gump, 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 jump, Jesus, uh, is a lot easier to, to take, because you can just powerhouse your way through season two and it's not that season two is bad it's just having direct competition with the strongest like season of almost any show i've ever seen um it's it is truly phenomenal and uh i actually think season one ends pretty damn well um there's a really lovely little cliffhanger and uh it kicks you off into season two um, even though I don't particularly... Well, my history says I don't enjoy season two. I'm about to powerhouse my way through that one. So, who knows? Who knows? Maybe uh, maybe I'll like it. Or maybe I won't. Who can say? Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. So, y'all might remember a little while ago, I watched like a bunch of Batman movies. Like, a whole... Like, basically all of them. Um, however, there were a couple that escaped my my viewing pleasures because they just were not available at the time um and unlike some of the more recent editions of disney movies to disney plus i care slightly more about these these forgotten batman movies um but instead of doing like a full other episode i thought i would just kind of talk about them as i see them because i don't have the free time to sit down and powerhouse my way through six movies like i used to um so now we're just gonna we're just gonna talk about it the first of these new Batman movies I watched was Batman Return of the Cape Crusader and this one is particularly unique because it takes the Adam West Burt Ward Julie Newmar Batman from the 60s and brings it to us animated in the year 2016 is when this movie came out it's one of the last times Adam West appeared as Batman there's actually a sequel to this movie called Batman vs. Two-Face Um, but I haven't seen that one yet so I'm not going to talk about it this movie has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes and it is whole and truly well deserved it is fantastic not only does it pay beautiful homage to the original 1960 show with some hilarious fucking scenes but it also has a legitimately interesting plot and it goes in a direction I was hoping for but was not expecting Um, I'm just going to kind of briefly talk about the plot because it's uh uh goddamn return of the Cape crusader it is simply delicious so batman robin are dealing with the the classic four uh enemy version of the the fucking what are they called? legion of doom for lack of a better term you got joker penguin riddler and catwoman Um, The only three original people who were here are Adam West, Burt Ward, and Julie Newmar, Batman, Robin, and Catwoman, respectively. They got sound-alikes for everybody else. They do a pretty goddamn good job. These voice actors are are above above board. um, For sure. And uh, we also have, like, um, this version, like, everything, every character in this show, or in this movie, is inspired and based on the characters from the 60s. So, you've got Chief O'Hara, you got Commissioner Gordon, you got all that shit. Um, Anyway, there's a bit where uh, Joker and his crew are committing some crimes, and Batman and Robin, like, pull up uh, to the, the place where the crime is happening, and Robin's about to just jog across the street, and Adam West goes, Hold on there, my fine chum! Jaywalking is as dangerous as any crime we face here today. It's important to remember the laws of the road. Jeep and Jillikers, you're right, Batman! and they walk to a fucking crosswalk, like a bunch of doofuses, the cars stop for them, they walk slowly across the crosswalk, and wave at the cars. That's the type of movie this fucking movie is. There's another scene that kills me, which was they're like investigating uh, a piece of tin foil, and they're putting it on the bat analyzer, and Adam West goes, this bat antili- uh, computer has the power of two full sets of encyclopedias behind it, Robin. We're going to find out the the where this came from in no time. And I'm like, "Wow, two full sets of encyclopedias." We're talking about like fucking Oxford and then the Britannica encyclopedias. Like, what are we what are we dealing with here? So, it's it's hilarious how fucking on point it was with the dated references of the 60s. It's absolutely superb. I think it is enjoyable without knowing that that's like what it was like in the 60s show um but having seen some of those episodes and especially the fucking movie and then watching this it goes from being like oh that's weird to flat out laughing my ass off hilarious because of how good it's done it's played completely straight but you know as the viewer just like oh my god this is so fucking stupid it's awesome so this all happens there's a bunch of jokes like that you know they fight the villains and it's it's great it's just a great classical romp and then there's this bit where catwoman's like i've got this poison that will make batman obey our every whim all I have to do is scratch him and she scratches him and then nothing happens but slowly over the course of the movie batman starts to be acting a little differently as the poison slowly takes effect and he loses his sense of moral right and wrong. He fires Alfred. He yells at Robin. He, it, like, slowly, over time, he changes. And it all comes to a head when they're on, like, the International Space Station. And he's fighting Joker, Penguin, and Riddler. Having, like, Catwoman had escaped in, like, an escape pod or something like that. And he straight up breaks out a pair of bat brass knuckles. And he kicks the shit out of joker penguin and riddler to the point where like they're visibly terrified of adam west batman and i mean he doesn't swear or anything like that but his manner and demeanor completely change and instead of like those pop-up effects of being like pow and zap turn into fracture and bludgeon as adam west is just laying into these motherfuckers and it's amazing! I always wondered what it would've been like if Adam West Batman got like let off the chain. And that's what it does in this movie. And it's fucking crazy cool. It's... Oh, man. I was so goddamn excited to see that. And it was... It was awesome. Eventually, you know, it all works out okay. Um, And this is... or This movie has, like, a pretty decent plot. Um, It's a little slow at times, but it's a little slow because... It was slow in the '60s. I mean, the original Batman Adam West movie is like two hours too long, and it's like two hours and forty minutes. It's it's a long, fucking, slow, plotting movie. Um, this one's a bit tighter. Uh, I think it's it's only like a little less than an hour and a half, but it's it's really good. Um, and Adam West like stretching his his acting prowess to be like this fucking ass kicking Batman was so fucking cool. So yeah, this one is is excellent. I mean, nine out of ten for this fucking movie. It's it is awesome. Um there's nothing really that prevents it from being a 10. There's it's like I said, it's just like there's a there's a couple of scenes that's a little plotting and it's not as tight as I would have liked it. Um but I think that kind of adds to the movie more than it takes away from it. But that being said, it still gets a nine out of ten. Not the best Batman movie I've ever seen. But it's fucking... I'd watch this again in a second. It's fucking great. Really would recommend it. Next thing in the podcast. Well, looks like I plowed through season two of uh, Young Justice just slightly faster than I thought I was going to, so let's talk about it. Um, As I said uh, in my season one review, um, my previous experience with Young Justice season two was not positive, and that remains to be true. It is not great. It's not the best. Season one far outstrips season two across every conceivable metric. Um, and what bothers me about season two is that it's frustrating and not in a fun way. It's a lot of like... So, there's an alien invasion uh, that is dealt with? Question mark. I think it's dealt with. But then there's another alien invasion, like immediately afterwards to the point where you're not entirely sure if the first one was dealt with and then the second one comes along and they're like all fucking frustrating and sneaking into the UN and all that crap and then it spends way too much time on Blue Beetle who is not an interesting character and I don't like him as a character and I would have been completely fine if he died because in my head he just didn't really do much to endear himself to me the audience before he turned like evil um and i don't like the death of wally west spoilers um at the end of the season i don't know if he ever comes back it's a comic book show so i'm guessing he might but i don't appreciate that um i feel like they but then again if they killed like some of these newer characters who i cared even less about that probably wouldn't have had the same emotional weight to it um but it really did seem just kind of like a cheap, like, final fuck you. We're going to kill somebody. And then they killed Wally, and I'm just like, Muh. So, like, villain, I, I hated the Reach. I hated the goddamn Crowleteans. I hated the fact that, like, for pretty much the entire season, six Justice League, like, eight Justice League members are just, like, gone in trial and we, we almost never hear from them. And none of that fucking matters. And they're saved by the kids at the end of the day fucking anyway. It was all completely stupid. It was so stupid. It was like they did this thing and they were like, 16 hours. What did we do? And then they go off and do that. And it doesn't fucking matter. Like, none of it mattered. It so didn't matter. It was stupid. And instead of it being like, crate, like, little story vignettes about like characters and stuff like that um learning and becoming like better people it dealt with these larger issues but the larger issues weren't interesting the larger issues in season one were not what made season one great it was the it was the small scales like people stories that made that interesting it was the relationships between people that made it interesting and this like threw in way too many Like, wrenches, you know? Here's a fucker from the future who says shit like Crash and Mode. Here's two separate alien invasions in 20 episodes. Oh, is that too many? Well, fuck you. Here's the Beatles. And here's a Grand Beetle out of nowhere. Just, there we go. There's another one. Fuck you. Let's figure it out. It's way too much. And nothing feels, it doesn't feel balanced. There's too many subplots. There's too many characters. It got confused and muddled and just kind of bounced around. If they kept it core and they kept it small, there are elements of a good season spread throughout this season. But it's so disparate and across multiple episodes for there to be like a coherent, decent story thread that you just like, meh. Like, Miss Martian abusing her powers by ripping the information out of her enemies' heads, leaving them in a catatonic and broken state is a fascinating story thread. And it has a pretty decent climax of her doing that to Calderon, um, you know and she didn't know but then she like turns all sad and mopey for a while and like never really gets fucking over it and so they kind of screwed the ending on that one in my opinion but then again trauma will do that and there's like long-standing things and all that stuff Um, but god damn it's it is it is frustrating um, to me just like watching them struggle so fucking hard to make a decent story and there were just there were so many threads and then at the very end, right, Wally's dead. Um the team is now being led by Aqualad and um Batgirl. And Dick Grayson just decides to bail um and like take a break or whatever. And uh the last thing we see um and the last thing I know is uh fucking goddamn Vandal Savage who has just apparently near omnipotent travel powers across the universe. Um meet up with Darkseid, uh, and for some reason, G. Gordon Godfrey, um, who is probably the highlight of the season for me, because it's Tim Curry, and I had completely forgotten about that, and I wonder if G. Gordon makes an appearance in, um, season three, and if so, is he still voiced by Tim Curry? Because I believe Tim Curry was able to get all of the lines recorded for this role, um, mere months before his stroke. So, I'm not entirely sure. Um, in fact, I'm going to check right the F now. Um, let's see. Let me see. Uh, were you able to maintain your role in Young Justice in season three? Or may, you know, maybe the character's just not even in there, which is also a possibility, um, which would also be interesting. Where the fuck is animation? Voice roles, television. There we go. 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 Uh, nope. It looks like he's only in in that one season. So, um, I'm guessing they either got a different voice for him in season three or he just isn't in season three. Um. Do-do-do-do-do. Uh, looks like they got somebody else, uh, to do the voice of, um, uh, fucking G. Gordon in, uh, in season three. I am now checking who that is. Um... God damn, there's a lot of fucking characters in season 3. Are you kidding me with this shit? Holy crap. Where's... Where's old G Gordon? Maybe I'll do a Control-F. Gordon. Okay. But I want to know who voices you. Uh, nope, that's Barbara Gordon. James Arnold Taylor takes over. Okay, well, I like James Arnold Taylor. It's not fucking Tim Curry, but... If Tim couldn't do it, Tim couldn't do it. So yeah, I give, like, season 2... I mean, honestly... I don't know if it's a necessary viewing, to be perfectly honest with you. I guess it is if you care about, like, where the characters are at. But, I mean, don't be afraid to fast forward. Or don't be afraid to read, like, the episode synopses just to see what happens. Because it's just not very good. Which is such a goddamn shame. If, if like, both seasons were like this, I would not... The show getting canceled would have made a lot more sense. Because season two fucking sucked. And I really didn't like it. Um, But, who knows? Maybe season three will be so much better. And, um, I mean, that's what I'm on to now, so... I'm going to go watch that, and let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. And finally this week, I thought we would talk about some books. Now, currently we are doing The Hobbit, um, which is, according to Wikipedia, um, the best-selling book of all time um, at 140... Point six million copies that actually seems kind of low and now that is also a uh, a misnomer because um, The Bible is the greatest selling book of all time Um, Even though most people don't really actually pay for their Bibles. I don't know about y'all, but I got mine through the church So so there you go, but yeah the Hobbit is pretty fucking popular but I thought it would be fun to talk about the other books in the top 10 list, according to Wikipedia. And um, see if, if they're good, you know? Now, they're popular for sure, but good? That's that's another metric. So, um, I think we're just going to kind of rattle down the list because, I'll be honest, the reason we're doing... Actually, it's more like top 9. Top 10, basically... So, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 are harry potter um they're they're tied with a couple of other books um so we'll, we'll talk about those as well um but yeah the hobbit number one number two best selling book of all time according to wikipedia shouldn't surprise anybody harry potter and the philosopher's stone it was, a, it was a really big fucking deal i feel like when harry potter happened like we all appreciated that it was really popular but this put it in a whole new perspective for me like oh shit no hold on a second this was really popular. And it, it I mean, it's... Out of the top 20 best-selling books of all time, Harry Potter's one through seven are in there. So it's its a big fucking deal. I believe if I scroll down to look at the highest-selling uh, series, pretty sure Harry Potter is right there at the top. 500 million copies across all seven books. Second best-selling series is Goosebumps, but we're not talking about best-selling series. All right three the little prince which is one of the few books there are three books in the top 10 that are not english this is the first one it was originally written in french and has been translated into dozens of different languages i want to say uh it's one of the most translated books ever published what's interesting about the little prince is it's not a particularly long book um that being said i've never read it so i don't know how good it is i've seen the netflix movie and i thought that was pretty good if a little weird um but i never read little prince uh so believe me the audiobook is coming that's basically like i'm gonna read all of these books i think at some point um just for the record the next one is the uh the second non-english book on the list um it is also the only one on here that the genre is listed as family saga It is Dream of the Red Chamber, also called The Story of the Stone. Uh, This is a Chinese book, first uh, written in the mid-18th century, uh, and first published in 1790. So, pretty old. Definitely, definitely further back. I'm just going to read a little blurb here. Um, It is one of of China's four great classical novels. Written during the Qing Dynasty. Long considered a masterpiece of Chinese literature, the novel is generally acknowledged to be one of the pinnacles of Chinese fiction. Um, It is believed to be semi-autobiographical, mirroring the rise and decline of the author's own family and by extinction of the Qing dynasty. Um, The novel is remarkable not only for its huge cast of characters and psychological scope, but also for its precise and detailed observations of life and social structures typical of 18th century Chinese society. Uh, It contains within its pages a sampling of all the major modes Of the Chinese literary tradition. I don't know anything else about it. But any book of such a scope. That has such an impact. On a culture. I believe deserves to be. Read. Um, So if I can get my hands on it. Fuck it. We'll go for it. I think I'll butcher a lot of words. And names and locations. And stuff like that. But who knows. Maybe it's really good. And the the fifth best selling book of all time. I do want to point out that books 3, 4, and 5 have all sold approximately 100 million copies. So they're basically tied. This is just like the order they're placed in on um, on Wikipedia. Is And then there were none. Agatha Christie. That one I'm really excited to get into. Um, because I don't know... I only know the, the solution or the, the answer to one Agatha Christie novel. And that's Murder on the Orient Express. And that's because I saw the movie. Um, I still think reading the book could be a lot of fun. But... That's the beauty of Agatha Christie, because there there's dozens of mystery novels that they wrote, um, and I don't know the solutions to any of them, and I think it'd be a lot of fun to read a mystery novel as an audiobook, and kind of try to work through it and piece it together, at the puzzle, as I read it. I think the secret, though, for that is that I need to finish the audiobook in its entirety before it starts uploading, so I can try to puzzle it out uh, without anybody spoiling it for me. So, there's that. Number six, The Lion, The Witch. And the wardrobe, C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia. 85 million copies sold since 1950 when the book was first published. Yes, I am absolutely going to do the Chronicle of Narnia books. I have the first one in my possession, and I highly and I intend to read that one in the not too distant future. Probably sometime next year. Um, we will we will start the Chronicles of Narnia, and I think that'll be a ton of fun, and I'm very excited about it. She! Is number seven a history of adventure by h rider haggard written in 1887 83 million copies sold adventure book h rider haggard wrote several uh books called of the uh lost world genre things like journey to the center of the earth um or any mentions of atlantis or the city of gold those sorts of things are considered lost world genres tend to be fairly strong adventure books uh, H. Rider Haggard also spent a lot of time writing on um, Victorian explorers of Africa, so it's also been listed as imperialist literature. Doesn't surprise anybody that these books tend to be pretty racist. Um, Alan Quatermain is is his character, um, H. Rider Haggard, and Alan Quatermain is one of the major inspirations for Indiana Jones. So, that's that's like the legacy that we see there. Um, but these were the original ones. She, in particular, the name of the book is She, um, is about discovering a uh, an ancient civilization uh, that is ruled by a, quote, mysterious white queen named Aisha who reigns as the all-powerful She, or She Who Must Be Obeyed. Um, and it, I don't think it will surprise anybody that this book has... It's fairly controversial um people go both ways on it some say it's great and some say it's racist and sexist and horrible so you know read it and make your own mind i don't know uh number eight here the adventures of pinocchio by carlo Collodi, italian this is the third and final non-english book in the top 10 written 1881 anywhere between 35 to 80 million source uh 80 million copies of this book have sold i mean it's pinocchio I can't believe I haven't read Pinocchio. We've done Alice in Wonderland. We've done uh, Peter Pan. We haven't done Pinocchio. Uh, we also haven't done Tarzan. So those are those are on my list as well. Um, and then the ninth book on here, pro- the most recent book. Um, so it was a big deal when it came out. And that is uh, 2003 Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. Pretty fucking popular book when that thing came out. I think I would enjoy reading that one. Um, as an audiobook but the problem is is like unlike Agatha Christie I kind of know I know the book and I feel like that kind of takes because the whole point is that it's a mystery thriller right like you're supposed to go in there and not know um and I feel like that's that you know bubble really pops once and then once you know it you know it and you're just like well I mean I know the adventure so maybe it stands up on its own um like the book because I only ever saw the movie I don't know how different the book can be. I just know that the book itself has a lot of uh, religious themes in it. Just like... <coughs> fuck me. My voice is going... Just like the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, has a lot of religious themes in it. So I think that will be fun. And then, like I said, the next seven books or six books in the in the list are all the Harry Potter ones. Um, some of the other ones on this list that caught my attention include The Alchemist by pa- uh, Paolo um, Coelho uh a portuguese author 1988 65 million copies um i've heard excellent things about it i think i might have even read it in high school but i don't know for sure um catcher in the rye is on here by jd salinger i never read catcher in the rye um i don't entirely know what it's about um so possibly but i don't fucking i don't i just don't know what it's about Bridges of Madison County, maybe. I believe that's a romance novel. Yeah, it's a best-selling romance novella written in 1992. Um, But it's on this list, you know, so it's pretty popular. Ben-Hur, A Tale of Christ, possibly. Um, And then there's something on here that I clicked last time called A Hundred Years of Solitude. And what caught my eye about this book was that it is, quote, in the genre, magic realism. Uh, It's a landmark 1967 novel by Colombian author Gabriel Garcia Marquez tells the multi-generational story of a Buendia family whose patriarch Jose Arcadio Buendia founded the fictitious town of Macondo. Um, the novel is often cited as one of the supreme achievements in literature. Holy shit. That is, that is high goddamn praise. The magical realist style. What the fuck is magical realism? That seems... That seems contra- uh, contrarian. Magical realism paints a realistic view of the modern world while also adding magical elements, often dealing with blurred, blurring the lines between fantasy and reality. So, Harry Potter would fall under that. Neil Gaiman, Solomon Rushdie, um, all fall under that, that purview. Um, it's often associated with Latin American literature, including founders of the genre. Huh. That's kind of rad. That was awesome. Okay, well, that sounds dope as hell. I would be really interested to read that book. Um, Hundred Years of Solitude. I'm gonna have to track that down. Um, Lolita is on here by Vladimir Nabovkov. Nabovkov? Yeah. Um, Heidi is on here. Anne of Green Gables. I actually bought that book today. So I think that'd be a fun one. Black Beauty, Watership Down, that is definitely on my list. Uh, I think Charlotte's Web could be a lot of fun. Um, Peter Rabbit, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, Angels and Demons, of course, the sequel to Da Vinci Code, War and Peace, uh, The Kite Runner, The Great Gatsby, Gone with the Wind, 1984, a lot of classic books. Basically, if it's a classic-ass book, it's probably on this list somewhere. Um, But I just... I love the idea of, of doing some of those books. Mystery particularly excites me. And as much as I don't think I personally will have a good time reading it, I cannot deny the draw of reading a horror book. Because as entertainment, especially in my audiobook format, the the potential for that to be good is really fucking high. Because I don't do horror well and i think that right there is enough of a draw for it to be entertaining because i can absolutely see my panic and not being okay with what's happening being funny so i like i think i'll sacrifice my own sanity for the sake of art on on that but i feel like i have to read horror novels that are like that transcend that aren't that aren't just like scary for the best selling horror books they've got to be they've got to be good you know what i mean like they can't just be like oh here's a spooky story about some bullshit i don't i don't think i don't think that would be that would be good okay so this list um comes to us on amazon well i don't i don't think this is this is that doesn't look right Alright, I'm just gonna use the, the, the ones that show up when you Google best-selling horror books on Google. Dracula. Bram Stoker. Never gonna read it. I gotta be honest with you. The entire book is told through diary entries and letters, and it is dry and boring as fuck. So, no. I'm not touching Dracula. Unless my knowledge of this book is wrong, in which case, maybe I'll change my mind. Same reason for Frankenstein. I don't... It's It's, like, it's way longer than I think anybody, like, really knows well actually it's not way longer it's only 208 pages 80 pages maybe Frankenstein maybe I really don't want to do Dracula I might do Frankenstein Frankenstein seems okay um The Shining is the book that jumped into my head when I considered this um and you can't deny its um longevity um so possibly The Shining I feel like I'd be maybe not I feel like I'd be all right in that that space but who knows the Haunting of Hill House. I actually saw this book in a bookstore today when I was buying um, some other literary classics. Uh, and I actually don't know anything about it. So the fact that it came up here says that it it's something, you know? Yeah, a lot of Stephen King books are on this list. Um, what else is there? Um, oh, yeah. Something Wicked This Way Comes Ray Bradbury. I thought that would be a great one. Because I actually read that as a kid. Um, or at least I started it, um, almost entirely sponsored by the, uh, the goddamn, um, just the, the saying, something wicked this way comes, um, 1962 dark fantasy novel, it is about two 13-year-old best friends, Jim Nightshade and William Halloway, and their nightmarish experience with a traveling carnival that comes to their Midwestern home, Greentown, Illinois, on October 24th, and dealing with the creepy figures of this carnival, the boys learn how to combat fear. The carnival's leader is the mysterious Mr. Dark, who seemingly wields the power to grant the townspeople's secret desires. Ooh. So that could be... That could be pretty fun. Oh, I thought... I thought Rebecca was on here, but it's just the Rebecca network. Silence of the Lambs! Forgot about that one. There... there yeah, There's, there's no lacking for for horror novels there's no not lacking for any genre i could read books till i die there there are countless books and countless ways to go um i just wanted to take a second and talk about the tools i use to kind of broaden my horizons because as we are in the middle of the hobbit and the production of the fellowship of the ring has already begun um you know i i i'm very comfortable in my fantasy worlds Um, It's something I'm very familiar with. and It's it's what I like to enjoy. It's what I like to read. Um, But I want to try and branch out and explore some other stuff. Um, Because I think Twilight, for all of its faults, opened the door to a genre that I don't spend a lot of time in. As shitty as Twilight was, in my head, it does fall under the romance section. It's a terrible romance story. And it should not be a relationship to emulate. But it falls in that area. It's like teen... You know, fantasy romance. Like, it's like, like like that's the genre. Never really dealt with a romance book before. But it was different, and it was interesting, and I broadened my horizons because of it. So, I think moving into, like, mystery and horror and thriller and stuff like that, and sci-fi, especially sci-fi. I actually have a list of books on my phone that I will uh, be acquiring uh, here pretty soon, or have already acquired that I will be looking to read. And they are as follows. Um... Foundation, the Isaac Asimov books, because the show's coming out. I thought that would be a fun series to get into. Um, Dragon Riders of Pern, as soon as I figure out the right starting place for that series, I might get into that as well. Wind in the Willows is on here. Uh, 1984 is on here. Hunger Games. Jonathan Livingston Siegel is on my list as well, um, as are most of the books that I've listed, listed before. Um, the only ones that are on here that weren't listed and like the best-selling ones that I want to track down are the outsiders uh black cauldron like the black cauldron books and uh the rats of nim which actually may or may not be a book series i remember it being rats of nim it is a book series all right mrs Fri- mrs frisbee and the rats of nim um, would be would be high on my list as well so those are the sorts of books i'm looking for i have i'm, I'm sure you guys are saying they'll be like what about this series i have an extensive physical library that probably contains the books you're already thinking of um but as always if there is a book you want me to read for audiobooks please email me at goingupcast@gmail.com. i am happy to take any and all suggestions and put them into the list and i do have like a, a, a list basically of books where it's like after lord of the rings i'm doing this book and then after this book i'm doing that book and i usually determine the next book whilst i'm reading the one that is current you know um but lord of the rings is going to take a v- very long chunk of my time. Um I like I think there's something like 20 chapters per book, so we're looking in the neighborhood of like about 60 chapters um for lord of the rings or if you're looking at it in terms of that's 60 days roughly for for lord of the rings. So it's going to be around a while. Um and we're going to do all three back to back to back. We're just going to go through lord of the rings and do it in one go, and then it'll be done, and we'll look back on it fondly. And then people will start being like, "What about the Silmarillion?" And I'll be like, "Oh boy, ew, very, 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 very." That's my answer to that. Um, but anyway, I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of the Going Upcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. We talked about a lot this week, and I will see you all next week for another brand new episode. Have a good one, everyone.